Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I, I think I was watching some Joe Rogan back for inspiration, Andy, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe there should be some casual conversations. Maybe we should just uh, kind of hang. So here's a quick question before we get started. Andy, why don't you share with the folks, where, where are you at physically? So I am in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, um, just on the Kentucky side of the Ohio River. Shout out if anyone is uh, from that area, no Andy's around. Uh, well, listen, welcome. We are in season three. We're focused on answering the question, what is the future of people initiatives? And in this conversation today, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to get inspiration from Steve Jobs to get us started. Uh, whether you like Steve Jobs, you don't like Steve Jobs, uh, here it goes. Some people say, give the customer what they want, but that's not my approach. Our job is to figure out what they're going to want before they do. I think Henry Ford once said, if I'd asked customers what they want, they would have told me a faster horse. People don't know what they want until you show it to them. Andy and I are going to take on the question of how do you anticipate the needs of employees, Andy? And I'd love for you to share with the audience kind of our first conversation, when I said to you, marketing mindset, and I'm getting a lot of pushback. The moment I use the word marketing, I got to tell you, I, I, I get five, maybe six out of 10 immediately go at me. And then a couple are curious, but some are flipping out like that was the right term to use. So Andy, what was your first reaction? And maybe share a little bit of your journey from where that first reaction took place to where we are now having the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd start off by saying it wasn't an adverse reaction. I, I wasn't turned off by it, um, but I used the word curious. And so I said, I would say I was curious. Um, so my personal background, um, I have some background in design thinking, have some background in industrial organizational psychology. And so I would say that uh, folks with a similar background in marketers are kind of kindred spirits. Um, in that we really want to tap into motivation uh, for employees rather than tapping into compliance, which I know is kind of traditional HR mindset. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that's interesting to me. I think, um, like we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll get into it, keeping employees at the center of things, really tapping into like what their needs are, what their motivations are, what their barriers are. I think it makes total sense. And I think it's really the direction that forward facing companies are headed in. Love that. And, and I love the positioning of from compliance. Like, I don't think anyone, well, I know this. There's no one that's listening to this podcast that's like, well, let's stop for a second. We need to focus on compliance. <laughs> it's a baseline, mm -hmm. but we're moving from that to something. What is that to something we're moving towards? And you said motivations. You said, and I'm actually curious your point of view. I just read a, a study, and that's going to be top of my mind going into uh, I'm leaving for San Francisco, taking the podcast and the question on the road, if you will, uh, this week, where I'm going to ask everyone what's the future of people initiatives in context of what's the future of HR? Where is it going? And the question that is I saw being raised, and I love your opinion, is, is HR moving toward being more of a growth driver? a business driver, a contributor, a supporter, but really starting to move in a direction of from compliance toward an employee experience that does what for the organization? What's your take? 
I think, yes. Um, so I would set it up in terms of like employee experience and consumer customer experience really being like different sides to the same coin. Um, so we know that I would say the equation is a, a great employee experience leads to a better customer experience, which leads to all these positive outcomes like growth, um, whether that's like growth in employees in the organization, um, revenue growth, all those types of things. Um, so from an employee experience perspective, it's really about uh, reflecting back on your employer brand, um, selling that to prospective employees um, and being who you say you are externally, internally. Um, so delivering on, on what you're selling to folks to kind of get them in the door. Um, and I think there's a lot of linkage there between customer experience and what our marketing folks are doing externally. And again, it all has to kind of sync up. We can't be one company to our customers and another to our employees. Which is the current state of the world for most organizations. Dare I say all, if we say that it's a journey, there are some on the journey, there are some more advanced in that journey, but I would be hard pressed. Actually, if anyone is listening, who would answer the question of your employee experience matches or exceeds the care that you have in your customer experience uh, and you're up for a challenge, like, let's go. Let's do this. I'm actually going to do tomorrow. We have a, a episode with Blue Origins, one of their senior leaders that is saying the brand has been unified. All audiences under one team. And I'm like, you don't exist. <laughs> I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it on air. This is not possible. But Andy, I am totally with you. The only caveat that I want to throw, and then I got to turn it back to you, is when we talk about employer brand, brand, I find it fascinating. So we basically have brand that has been focused on the customers. And then the organizations run into a problem, retention. And because the problem is so big, we said, we need brand there too, employer brand. And then when they join, internal communications. What happened to the brand? Wait a second, there was an external brand. Now there's brand with our, uh, with our candidates. I think the whole thing on the other side of, 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 our, of our journey here collectively is brand agree disagree before i throw us into the thrust of what's next here in our discussion yeah i think brand makes sense um throughout i would say in terms of who helps to deliver on that brand and this may be something that we can get into as we get into things the manager um so if you use like the marketing analogy i see the manager as like the customer success person like they're responsible for helping to deliver that brand promise on the day-to-day -day basis through all these different interactions. Throw what I was thinking out to the wind <laughs> in this podcast because you went straight there, right? Because we know that the manager is, what, 70% of the employee experience. What friend in an organization hasn't responded to the question of how's it going with, I can't stand my manager, or, oh my goodness, I hope they don't transfer my manager because they're amazing. Andy, let's, let's, let's go there for, 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 for a second and then I, I will bring us into talking about design thinking. But like the role of the manager, how, how important is the manager? Uh, essential. Um, you just nailed it with your description right there. Really, when I think of employee experience, I think about like three large buckets. Um, lots of different terminology here. The terminology I'll use is there are like defining moments. So these could be like the moments that matter. 
Um, so your first day as an employee, maybe um, the birth of a child, the, the death of a loved one, you have created moments. So maybe there's like internal conferences and things that go on. And then you have your everyday moments. Um, and I would say managers are really key for those everyday moments. They're kind of like the linchpin that really holds together the rest of the employee experience. And you said customer success, love that. Like literally turn the role of the manager upside down. Okay, I gotta stay somewhat disciplined. So we said the title of this episode is how do you anticipate the needs of employees, right? And Steve Jobs gave us a little bit of that external sense, we're not pointing it internally. And during our discussion, you were like, why don't we think about design thinking applications internally? Now, maybe some are not familiar with design thinking. If, if I was to distill it, and I'd love for you to expand on it, it's literally putting yourself in the shoes of the person that's going to experience whatever it is that you're designing. In our context, it would be the people initiatives. How would you, how would you think about design thinking? Um, shortest definition maybe, and then how would you expand for someone who's listening either for the first time or is having a, a headache thinking about design thinking applications turned from external to internal? Yeah, so I would say that there's a misnomer around design thinking. It can be like this uh, very large kind of cumbersome, maybe overwhelming process or framework to folks who aren't as familiar with it. Um, but I would say boiling it down, it's, it's just putting people at the center of whatever you're, you're designing or creating. Um, and so I think about, uh, it's kind of like a double diamond approach is how I like to talk about it. So you diverge and you converge a couple of different times. You do that once in the problem space, once in the solution space. Um, so at first it's um, discovering like, who are we reaching out to? What's important to them? Again, what are their motivations, their wants, their desires? How do we kind of define that in a problem statement? Um, from there, it's again, diverging around what are the potential solutions for this group? How do we meet all these needs that we've uncovered? And then it's, it's diverging again at the end to really um, give solutions and to kind of deliver on, on what we said we wanted to do. Very much a marketing mindset. Very, very, very similar. Um, I also just had a funny thought that as you're speaking, you're so concise. I'm like, this is amazing for shorts. I'm going to have uh, so much fun cutting our, our episode into shorts. Um, so Andy, the way, the way, have you, have you had some examples of where you apply design thinking for internal people initiatives? How do you, how do you go from theoretical to, to what's next? Yeah, so a really good example um, at my current company, EW Scripts, was around the future of work is kind of what we called the project initiative. Um, but essentially, it was like the pandemic happened. We worked in new ways, mostly remote and hybrid over a period of two or so years. And we were um, anticipating moving into like whatever our new normal, don't like that term, but whatever that was going to be. Um, and so we really used the design thinking process um, to hear from employees what was top of mind from them, kind of define the, the research and, and main pain points that we heard. And then we brought them back in from a co-creation standpoint to really develop potential solutions. And now we're working on seeing those through and, and really bringing those to life. That's fantastic. And, and uh, 
I want to take this in direction of people process technology. You and I briefly talked about this, and, and in this season three, that's just about every episode I do. We are going to move away from that in season four. We're going to focus on campaigns, and you all, if you're hearing this for the first time, minds will be blown. I guarantee it in season four. There are a number of campaigns coming up. Um, hint, hint. We're talking to Andy as well. Oh, I'm not going to ask you to commit here on air, but there are a number of campaigns with serious data points coming up. What I want to talk about people process technology is the umbrella is how do we anticipate the needs of employees? We're talking about design thinking at the moment. Who are the people to to lead this effort? What, what, what skill sets do they need? Is this a, hey, go take a course in design thinking? Is this you need industrial psychology with experience in design thinking? Should this be in the world of HR? Are we expanding beyond other worlds? So maybe talk to me a little bit about how do you see the leadership or the sea level that this would uh, fold under? Uh, I think it really starts with mindset um, in how we go about solving problems and really the role that we would like employees to play in that process. Um, mm -hmm. So I use the word co-creation. And so it's about not assuming that we have all the answers or that we have to figure out every problem, but really how do we invite the right voices in um, and to facilitate conversations that lead us to um, a deeper understanding of what employees need. And then again, inviting them along to that process of kind of designing and delivering on those solutions. Um, I think that there's a lot of different skill sets that can really help and be involved. Um, I know for myself personally, I am an EX team of one. Um, so I have to rely a lot on my partners and their skill sets, um, which involve like data analytics. Um, internal communications, change management. Um, we have a really amazing creative team that we're actually share internally and externally. Um, and so all those partners, depending on the project, have been really helpful in designing great employee experiences. Oh, there's so much there that you just mentioned. It's, let's unpack a couple of the things. First, you said bring the employees into the conversation and you use the term right employees. Would I, would I extrapolate to say by right, you mean those that are involved in that specific moment that matter that you are applying design thinking to? So if it's onboarding, let's talk to them who recently gone through onboarding. If it's a wellness initiative, you know, who's most engaged in it? Talk about, because also this is kind of market research from the mm -hmm. consumer side. So kind of like pointing market research internally. Um, what do you mean by right? Yeah, so you nailed it. Um, I, th I think starting with the data, with quantitative data, with the pain points, I know you've mentioned that on previous episodes of really what's the problem you're, you're wanting to solve. And then from that point, involving those right employees um, and kind of having that guide the direction that you want to go in. Um, and it really leads to um, personas are a common thing that comes out of uh, design thinking work. Um, really wanting to humanize what it is to be an employee and just knowing that you're not painting all employees with a, a broad brush, but people really have differences in terms of where they are in their own employee journeys, what their needs and wants are, and trying to convey that to the right decision makers at the end of the day. So cool. Personas. We're going into personas and, and you're designing personas so that you can do what? So that you can segment, so that you can message in a more relevant way? That's exactly right. Yeah, it's all about personalization 
and really speaking a language or, or creating offerings or, or products, as I like to think of like our HR programs um, in ways that really meet people's needs and kind of meet them where they are. Let's talk about a team of one, right? If I put you on the spot and you're like, Adam, I'm not going to answer that or, or, you know, you give me a broader, you know, response, it's cool. You said shared resources on the creative side with external teams. Fantastic. Fantas Although that probably creates a little bit of friction, you know, how much and, and you know, the, the further you go into segmentation. Uh, no, not one video, I'd like 50 videos. <laughs> And I'd like to change them based on, okay, so let's leave that for a second. But when we think about a team of one and all the moments that matter, and there are so many of them, as the world evolves in being able to quantify the impact of design thinking of meeting their needs, quantify it in a way that starts to make some, hey, we're, we're making more money, better performance, better retention. Do you see a future where the team of one is a team of X more than, more than one? Greater than one, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. That That's definitely the goal. Um, and so I am like the first to start up this function within, in my company. And so we're about two years into this journey. We're seeing a lot of the positive benefits of focusing on employee experience. Um, but regardless, I think whether I was a team of one or a team of 21, um, I think employee experience is one of those things where it's everybody's responsibility in some aspect. Um, so I kind of view myself and my team of one as like the chief evangelist for employee experience today. Um, would like to expand that tomorrow. But yes, it's something that everybody, I think, has to be conscious of and, and play their part in creating a better employee experience for all. Uh, and let's go back to something else you, you, or you said earlier. You talked about the different moments that matter. You, you said change management. Um, you talked about, uh, you mentioned a few on, I think it was uh, onboarding internal communications. If you were to pick the most important, or if you can't choose one, a couple where anticipating the needs of employees are, is just absolutely like foundational. If you don't nail this, nothing else you're going to nail. Uh, I'd like to see where you would prioritize the, the focus. In terms of uh, focusing on one which, moment? Yeah, which moment that matters? Do you think it's internal comms? Do you think it's change management, onboarding, performance, wellness? There's just so many candidates to choose from when you think about the sophisticated journey of the employee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think onboarding is a really critical one to nail up front. I mean, like we said earlier, you're selling this brand to candidates externally, and then it's it's really time to kind of put up or shut up once they get in the door, right? Um, and are you going to live out who you said you were, or is it going to be a different experience? And, and just knowing that employees have a lot of options, um, employees tend to drop off around the two-year mark if you aren't meeting some of those needs. And so knowing that that's kind of like an important window to really create a great experience. And again, going back to the manager, them just being a critical component for really putting a bow around what that experience is. I mean, we can have an amazing onboarding program. We can be doing all the right things to get the right candidates in the door. Um, but then a manager can either make or break that situation based on their everyday interactions. It's exactly like customers. You can do so much to advertise, but the moment they walk in, you know, proverbially, they walk into that experience. If that experience is, is anything but what you've come to expect. 
Um, we had a guest a year ago coming back, Michael Watkins, the author of a best-selling book, uh, The First 90 Days, really focusing about onboarding. And one of the quotes, I should have had it in front of me now, but it's something along the lines of, it's almost like installing a, a new organ into a body. And if you don't do a good enough job, it's going to be rejected. And um, someone will make a decision pretty quickly if this wasn't a fit, but hey, I need to last two years to make sure my resume has two years on it. It doesn't feel like I'm jumping around. I arrive, I disengage, can't stand it. Let me just withstand the remaining 22 months, 21, 20 months here at the, the counter, mm -hmm. and then start looking for the right moment in time. So Andy, when we think about onboarding and applying, you know, meeting the needs of the employees and applying design thinking, let's go a little bit more into the process, maybe an example, illustrate an example, maybe something that allows us to segment uh, folks on the journey, whether you're segmenting based on who they are coming in or who they're interacting with in terms of managers or peers, love some ideas. Yeah. So for my current organization, I think it could, you could segment along a couple of lines. It could be what part of the business are they in? Um, what are some of the cultural norms there? What are some of the job related responsibilities that may dictate like their onboarding journey? Um, and you could also segment based on employee type. So is this a brand new employee? Is this an internal transfer? Is We're really big on internal mobility. And so having an onboarding component for those types of folks, or is this an alumni employee? So somebody who has been with our organization previously is coming back for a second time. And so based off of that, those folks may need different information. They may need different interactions at different points in their onboarding journey which totally makes sense like if, if you're if you are trying to create a communication that's going to apply to everyone it won't be ultra relevant to anyone or you're just going to have to inundate them with like here's all the videos and here's a long pdf and you go figure out what's relevant for you um, we care so much that we've created a 75 page manual <laughs> for anyone uh, and it meets everyone's needs so go figure out you know where you're at um, yeah. Or you come in on day one, you have your orientation, they tell you about benefits, but you can't sign up until day 60. Like who's really going to remember that 60 days later? That's a hot, totally, totally. Is there a, a particular, particular moment? Uh, I'm trying to get even more granular before we zoom, zoom, zoom back out. So there was, I'll give you one example. And then I love, maybe you have an example for the audience. So there was a, a conversation I had about six months ago when someone said, Hey, the day before you start a new job, what if your manager reached out with a note? And I was like, Oh, because probably the night before all you're stressing out about, oh, I'm going to walk in my manager's Andy. What is he going to be like? I know it was an interview. We only met for one hour or two hours and getting that note, you're certainly going to get a better good night's sleep and be more excited coming in the next day. Are there examples, Andy, of moments where you're like, make it super, super practical? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good one. And I would say the small things that we overlook, um, being around an organization or, or being around a physical location, um, like where are the bathrooms? Um, where do I park? Mm. What are the norms? Like when do people come and go? What, where are the places to grab lunch close by? All those things that just lead to a sense of employees feeling like welcomed their first day. Um, back to that organ analogy, like they're going to be accepted into that new organization. 
um, and not rejected. Um, those things lead to belonging and lead to really positive outcomes over time. But it's really focusing on those little things that we overlook, which I think points back to design thinking and really asking the right questions of folks and not assuming that we have all the answers. Spot on with bathrooms, really practical, practical things that showing that you care about me, that you're not just throwing me in. And, and, and you know, maybe I'll, I'll go a little further and then, because otherwise we can turn this into a design thinking session, which could be fun. It could be fun by a board, but it's almost like, okay, even your peers that you work with, on one hand side, if, I, if, if you're new, and I'm part of your team, I'm like, oh, I don't want to reach out yet. Maybe you need some time. What what, what do I say? Um, and then on your side, you're like, do I reach out? Do, do I not reach out? But if organizational provided more guidance for both of those experiences by being a lot more intentional, it's almost like, whoa, on my first day, everyone on my team has just reached out and welcomed me and asked me to have coffee, virtual or physical. Oh my God, this is amazing. Um, am I going in the right direction there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something that I've seen be really success successful along those lines is like an onboarding buddy. Um, so somebody that is really designed to kind of meet with you one-on-one, -on -one, somebody who's not your manager, somebody that you can ask questions of, that they can take you to lunch, they can introduce you to folks um, during your first few weeks, they can help you uh, figure out technology issues and things like that can again really create a more welcoming kind of inviting experience um, where you feel the sense of belonging and like, yes, these are my people. I found the right place to work and I'm going to stay well beyond the two year mark. Love it. Uh, a buddy. I've seen that in, in a number of organizations. So Andy, I want to kind of take us into the next piece. We kind of talked people process next is naturally technology. You know, I'm very passionate about that piece for a number of reasons. Um, but I also want us to segue into it with the words you used, which is the importance of personalization. Right? Because in my view, personalization to, to accomplish it, like if there's three people on the team, you don't need technology. Probably 20 people on the team, you do not need technology. But once you get into more folks, you know, you're in hundreds, or maybe some of you listening in, you are, I know you are in thousands and number of you are in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Um, how do you leverage technology? So help me think about this idea of anticipating the needs of employees whereas with us leveraging this design thinking with a focus on, on personalization, personalizing the experience by thinking about what would that technology need to do? I think it comes down to expectations for employees. Um, so they're used to these consumer style experiences. And so trying to really create similar experiences um, in-house. Uh, a, a question that I like to throw out around technology is like, hey, it's, it's 2023 in the external world. What year is it in your company based on the technology that you're using? Um, often we find like in my personal life, I have Amazon, like one click, it's at my door in two hours. Internally, I take a compliance course and I have to click 13 times, the window crashes three times, and then I finally uh, am able to complete the course. And so I, I think really creating consumer style experiences and then meeting employees in the channels where they already are. Um, we shouldn't be surprised 
when employees are in Slack or they're in Teams or they're um, texting all day. And then we reach out to them via email and we're, we're surprised when we have like really low open rates and people aren't engaging in, in certain um, activities or initiatives. It just, that's funny. What, so you're listening, what year is it? I, I guess many of you will resist to put it out there, <laughs> but uh, could we all agree that it's not 2023? based on, on the comparison. And also what you just said there, I find it repeats over and over again. It's like, okay, if a manager needs to reach out to you, that's work-related, it's in Microsoft Teams or Slack. There's not going to be, rarely an, an, an email is going to be involved, something urgent, quick questions, let, let's interact. Uh, and then in the people initiative from HR is going to be an email. A manager is going to be, ve- or, or a peer is going to be very clear. Boom, Psh. Got a question for you. Can you boom, 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 boom? And then it's an erection. A people initiative, uh, again, typically, there's a lot of folks moving beyond that stage, but it used to be long, boring, tedious. There are logins involved in some cases. You look at that email and you're, oh, my goodness, really? And you're getting all of these emails from all the different initiatives that are taking place. Arguably, the organization is the biggest spammer in the life of that employee. So um, technology, back to technology. It's, uh, let, let's give it some broad strokes because you gave us a direction in this discussion. You said, look at their customer experience outside work and compared internally. Where do we go with this? Do we say be in the channel where they are already? What lessons can we extrapolate at the highest level to guide us toward the thinking of what's next? Yeah, I think being in the channel where they are helps definitely. Um, but then technology has to be a value add. Um, it has to give me something that I can't get outside of that channel. Um, it, it has to be simple to use. It has to remove complexity um, from my day-to-day processes. Um, and I'd say even to like some customer technologies, right? Like creating smart suggestions. So based on what you watched previously, this is what we think you might like next. Um, based on the e-learning course you took previously, these are the three we would suggest next. Those types of things. That's killer. Like literally look at everything as a customer that we're, we're come to expect. Not going to be easy. Like the, these are not going to be small lifts. And also it's not going to be like, uh, you know, this is really private data for organizations. So there's going to be a number of interesting questions. Um, and I don't want to get all self-promotional. So I'm going to reject my, my desire to get into, okay, well, here's how we're thinking about it. I want to focus, Andy, on more in terms of technology. Let's turn our attention maybe to the question of data and analytics. So when we reach customers outside of work, well, we look at everything. What? Like everything, everything, everything. We're looking at have they seen it? Have they clicked? Did they engage where they are, who they are, what time of the day? You name a question, that question is probably being not just asked and answered, but now applied with machine learning at scale in order to get those incremental improvements, you know, like a little bit more, 5%, 10%, more, 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 and it never stops. Where do we go from a technology standpoint as we think about our, our North Star on data? think that the North Star should be around like what's the purpose of collecting the data that we're collecting? How are we going to use it? 
Um, so I guess the North Star, in that case, you could say it's like building employee trust in whatever data collection methods we're using. Um, so reflecting back that like, hey, we're going to keep your data confidential and this is exactly what that means. Um, and we're collecting data for the purposes of making your life as an employee better. Um, these are the ways that we're going to use it. This is how we're not going to use it. So I think employees are okay with it as long as they understand the outcomes and, and have trust in the process and in the company um, in terms of what we're collecting and why. Love that. I've got so many more questions looking at time. I want to shift to something that I think would be super beneficial. So let's break our audience into kind of two. One is in the, they already have employee experience dedicated resources, which is, I think, rare. Not like a unicorn level rare, but like pretty rare, pretty rare. Um, I would want to talk about, you know, how do those that do not work toward having resources, whether they be that resource, they're listening, going like, I want to, I want to do what Andy does. I want to focus on employee experience. Or maybe they are thinking about, okay, well, how do we grow that, that, that team? How do we make a business case? Can you walk through the big like steps forward in order to, to make that a reality to either create employee experience, a dedicated team, or maybe start to think about growing it? Yeah, I think that you can start small, um, start kind of scrappy, and, and really it all comes down again to kind of mindset and how you're going about uh, creating programs, solving employee problems and things like that. Um, so rather than in sitting in a room as HR professionals trying to come up with all the solutions yourself, it's really involving employees in that co-creation process. And so I think a big piece of that is really developing this good, strong feedback loop from employees, really making sure that you're hearing from them. Um, so some companies do surveys, some don't. I think that that's a natural point in, um, in terms of feedback, and then it kind of just grows from there. But I'd say really involving employees and then co-creating with them. Remember I told you before we started, I said, hey, if we have a heated debate, let's do this. So I'm going to yeah. do something a little bit contentious on, on that front because I think listening to, to employees is absolutely critical and important, but I also think it's um, like it's there. It makes sense, but, but, but without budgets, we're, we're not, we're not going to get to our desired destination, which is to apply more resources to the employee experience. So my mind goes to um, what if... HR folks started to really dig into business objectives of their organizations. Now, there may be some right there for the taking, like retention is a problem. Okay, well, let's apply against that. But if it's not, uh, okay, what are the top priorities of the organization? Sales. We need to improve sales. Can HR support as a business growth driver? Because if you're part of the employee experience, it's almost like, it, it's almost like if you don't bridge to the business outcomes conversation, you live in a siloed world that's not as relevant. And by definition, why would you be in channels that matter? You're not, you're, you're not driving business, but then we say people are the most important asset and people performance is organizational performance. So either people initiatives matter and they will impact performance or they do not matter and they will not impact performance. But if they do, let's be honest and bridge the worlds. I, I, I'm stopping there, Andy, but 
please let, let's have this as, as a debate. Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, the word that comes to mind kind of hearing you go through that was alignment. Um, so yes, there has to be a very strong alignment between like, what's the strategy for the organization? Um, again, kind of revenue forecasting, what's the budget standpoint, and then the people side of things and really aligning all three of those pieces. So then HR does come to the table as a strategic partner versus kind of just a, a siloed um, function. So I totally agree with that. And I won't let, leave you alone there. I'm going to push even further because the, the, this, I think this is on so many minds because you're right. There's alignment. So HR is like, okay, we're trying, I'm going to do a difficult one. We're trying to improve revenue. And the revenue from a customer experience standpoint, there's so many points where it could be improved and, and potentially retention of customers, customer service. Uh, there's product development and, and does the, the folks in the engineering have a connection to what's happening with their customers? So many levels. And the HR says, we're now aligned to it. I wonder, does HR say, okay, what is our joint KPI? Or do they say, okay, well, we have some leading indicators. Revenue is a lagging indicator. We're taking these on and we'd like budgets against them. So we're going to run initiatives that have specific ways of measurement because we believe that these initiatives with these you know i start to call them now campaigns andy i, I mentioned to you this next season campaigns that are now going to get us to that as the business objective or is that going too far no i think that's right um what gets measured gets done at the end of the day yes. um and so yes i think you have to be very specific and very measurable measured around it um, and being very specific and measured up front um, really accounts for a lot of kind of what happens on the back end. What do you, what do you think would be some of the resistances that they are going to run into? They being the innovators listening to this that are now, you know, saying, okay, you just inspired me real world, real world conversations. What would be some of the first uh, objections that do you think they're going to run into based on your experiences and, and how would you uh, um, address them? Yeah. So coming into my current role in employee experience, I reached out to a bunch of other folks who um, had similar job titles at different organizations. And it sounded like one of the biggest pieces of feedback I got was really around making sure that you have some champions in the C-suite who are really going to uh, be aligned with you and champion with you for the employee experience. Um, and basically, like, if you don't have that piece, I would really think twice about taking up this this type of work and this type of job, because that's really going to impact the effectiveness that you can have. So I think that's one piece, having champions. And then um, we've talked about it earlier, but like pain points. What are those chronic pain points for the organization? How can you help to solve those? Where can you uh, provide value and really kind of snowballing it from there? I, we can even merge those two. Ideally, it's finding a C-level with a pain point, but someone who also is aligned, you know, I don't want to say philosophically, but believes that we should treat our employees the way we treat our customers so that we could make more money mm -hmm. as an organization. So if you find that C-level with a pain point, and in the podcast, I've actually had CIOs. I've had CISO, chief cybersecurity officers, talking about very simple like things for their employees to do that, you know, if we apply meeting them where they are, 
we could absolutely move the needle on some of their burning platforms, which is don't click on an email without thinking about it, right? Little things like that. Um, yeah. Great piece of advice. Philosophically, you brought up that point. So I'll, I'll hit on that from an employee standpoint. Like if we lose an employee versus losing a customer, like if we lose an employee, it's pretty much threefold, right? Like number one, losing an employee. Number two, a lot of times we're also losing a customer. And number three, we're losing an informal marketer, an informal influencer and champion around that brand. And, and so really um, weighting employees and, and how important they are for the business, I think from a philo philosophy standpoint is really important. I, I, I couldn't agree more, Andy. Um, yeah, I, I'm even, I was tempted to just go into some examples, but I think we've covered some early on and for all of you listening in, just like, what do you, what, what do you see as the, across the different sea levels, different burning platforms that you think are opportunities to grab onto as your entry point into the conversation? I'll, I'll tell you actually one that I, that I think if you're listening that I'm going to give two and then I'll ask Andy your opinion on, on both of them. So first one, if you recently had an employee survey, and it sucked. Like you, there's something that's a real challenge on that employee survey, any, any line item. That, to think about how to anticipate the needs of the employees and apply design thinking, what a curious way to take a data point and move the needle. Maybe not the entire organization, but maybe a segment of the population to demonstrate the uh, efficiency uh, of what you're doing and then thinking about scale. So quick reaction from you before I illustrate another example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I view surveys as a good jumping off point for further analysis, further discovery. And so, yeah, I think that they can directionally kind of tell you where you need to go, but then jumping off from there, doing further employee listening um, and really helping uh, to, again, kind of illuminate the needs and kind of develop solutions from there. Makes a lot of sense. And you talked about the importance of listening and market research, and that's the way mm -hmm. that's the way to do that. The second one that I find to be fascinating, that's almost in every organization that's a challenge, is how to connect strategy to the front lines, to everybody in the organization. I say front lines, but really it depends on the size of the organization. It's middle management, it's everybody. It's really hard to do. Take your strategy of the organization and what does that mean to every person in that organization? We're actually about to launch the, the, the first campaign for season four, and the data is going to come in to show how do you connect engineers, the, the, your, your development team, to the impact of the technology they're building so that you can shorten the product lifecycle, so that you can improve the innovation, so that you can improve retention and performance because you're helping people understand that their work means something. Uh, thoughts, Andy, on, on, on that one as an example? Yeah, I think uh, personalizing like the very high level objectives of the organization um, and, and creating those connection points for employees so that they do find purpose, meaning in their work is, is essential. Um, so it, it comes in a couple of ways, right? It comes in the messages that we send employees and kind of how segmented and personalized those can be. And it's reinforced, again, through great leadership, through great managers who can kind of translate these very high-level organizational objectives down to what it means for my team and for you, the individual employee. 
managers goes back to the man we can't for thank you for anchoring that that point that you got to look at them as your first audience not because they're most important but because they are the customer success to your to your earlier description um andy i'm i'm i clearly very caffeinated i spoke more today <laughs> than i typically do in podcasts i appreciate it is there anything that i haven't asked that you wanted to share um, and, and if not, then I'd love for you to give like one last piece of advice, maybe for those listening in, um, from you having gone through your journey that could help them continue to think about their future of people initiatives and their organizations. Yeah. Um, no additional topics for me again, just thanks for having me on. And, and one piece of advice, I would say, just be curious. Um, we've kind of talked back and forth about like um, consumer style experiences and what those translate to internally. I would say just be curious in your everyday life. There's so many different data points. There's so many different things to look and, and watch out for in terms of what works, what doesn't work. And so if you kind of have that curiosity mindset, um, that there's a lot of different room to explore and a lot of different examples that you can try out in your own organization. So there's your action item, y'all. Be curious. Maybe do that tomorrow. Make it actionable. Be curious tomorrow and then share what, where that curiosity has led you in one day or maybe it's in the next week. But uh, if you haven't subscribed already, my ask of you is to subscribe. I'm especially now committed to releasing a, a, a short a day, one minute. And it's typically brilliance from guests like Andy. On occasion, I'm going to start to share some updates. And uh, do check out season four. Welcome any thoughts because we're at this stage thinking about employee campaigns and we'll be reporting live as those campaigns finish with data points. Um, and, and lastly, on this episode, if you're applying design thinking in the employee experience and you're anticipating the needs of employees, by all means, please share or reach out to Andy. Go grab coffee with him if you're in, in Midwest. Andy, really appreciate you joining. Thank you. Over and out.